The Friends series finale is over and has been for 11 years and two months, but we're just getting started talking about it here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and bing, it's my good friend Antonio Mazzaro. Oh, Josh, how you doing? How you doing, Antonio? And in case you guys thought Jeremiah Panhorse wouldn't be joining us tonight, the biggest Friends fan I know, Central Perk right up. He's right here. Jeremiah, what's going on? What is up? Yeah. How you doing? It's happening. Jeremiah's wearing leather pants. Jeremiah is wearing leather pants. All right, so real quick, Jeremiah's <laughs> the Ross. Of course. And I think you just said how you doing, so you have to be the Joey, Antonio. That's racist. Why? Because <laughs> of the Italian thing. Oh, well, is Chandler being Jewish? Ross is Jewish, so maybe I should be Ross. Yeah, I don't know. True. I don't really know. It's interchangeable. But yeah, let's dig into this because I know people have really been clamoring for a Friends podcast from Post Show Recaps for a long yes, time. Yes, they have. And there's no other reason for the three of us to get together and talk about TV, right? Are you sure about that? Yeah. No, never mind. Let's, is this I the thought, is this the never one mind. where the, is this thought, the one where Josh is this the one where the stripper cries? Yes. I thought <laughs> we would podcast about Friends, but never mind. Let's talk about True Detective instead. How about that? Oh, oh Chad, Chad, of course Chad wants to watch Friends. Chad's the worst. <laughs> False Friends podcast alarm. It actually is still the True Detective podcast. You sure we're not going to talk about the one with the boob job? No, not yet. <laughs> is it the one with the fertility test? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, There's so many True Detective episode tie-ins and Friends title names. It's insane. Yeah, it's... There's, the, yeah. Called, there's one called the one with the videotape. It's the one with, um, who the hell is Stan? Yeah, but, well, that's been this whole season of True Detective. <laughs> we all want to know. We're now, now we know more about his entire family than we do anything about Stan. Than we've ever wanted to know. <laughs> than we ever did want to know. A lot of time being spent on Stan. I'd think, say way this, too much time. What's going on here? Too, mu- like, too much Stan? Is this just to show Stan? Vince Vaughn being a, being a dad? Is this, um, is this our Frank dad scene? Is that all we're getting out of this? I, think, I guess so. I think so, unless Stan is the secret Yellow King. Mm. Oh, boy. Maybe Stan is Birdman from Beyond the Grave. Bird Stan. Ooh. Bird Stan. That's not impossible. <laughs> that sounds like a country I would not want to live in. Yeah, Bird- <laughs> Birdistan? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. All right. Well, we're cracking ourselves up with Stan jokes and Friends jokes. Welcome, everybody, back to the True Detective Podcast. If we haven't lost you already with our Friends talk, we are here to talk about Episode 6, Church and Ruin of True Detective. Um, as always, you guys can subscribe to what we're doing here with the True Detective shows on Post Show Recaps. PostShowRecaps.com slash True Detective iTunes. We talk about the show every week. There's only going to be two more weeks after this. That's crazy we're getting close to the end i know just two episodes left just two episodes left it's really starting to heat up i'm curious to get everybody's knee-jerk reaction to this episode which a lot of people i'm seeing online reading the buzz online a lot of people saying wow true detective season two finally got good other people were saying who (laughs) had been enjoying the season all season long are saying that this is the best one yet i've seen a few articles tearing this episode down so as always with this season it seems like reactions are all over the map let me kick it over to you first antonio what did you think of episode six i neither here nor there like i'm not i'm not losing my mind over it thinking this is the best episode of the season of true detective but i'm not not losing my mind thinking that it was god awful there were some parts of this episode like other parts of other true detective episodes especially this season where I was like, oh, come on. Like, there's signatures all over these contracts. Oh, my God. I Can you believe that. it? I'm cracking case. <laughs> there are signatures all over your ever. contracts to be talking about True Detective here on Post Show Recaps. Yeah. So uh, they, I, there's some things in this episode. It's True Detective Season 2. There's some things where I just shook my head. Uh-huh. But I also... 
the things that bothered other people about this episode, like the music at the last in the in the kind of party scene, things like that, didn't bother me at all. I uh, I was a fan of a lot of what went on in this episode, and I, I appreciate that we're really getting some closure on this crazy, complicated story. Although we're getting a lot of new things introduced in the eleventh hour too, so I'm going to hold out hope that we're going to have some resolution on what is now a new mystery that was introduced: the jewel heist in the L.A. riots. So- yeah, I'm going to I'm going to need you guys to walk me through the jewel heist because I am uh, I'm not following. So uh, this eleventh hour kind of more mysteries, more mystery. I'm I'm hoping uh, that True Detective season two has a plan for all of this stuff, and we're going to see the end of it. I have no reason to believe that they would go crazy with all this stuff unless they didn't. Yeah, okay. Jeremiah, what did you think of this episode? Oh, Josh, how can you not love this episode, man? You had Mexican standoff with actual Mexicans. <laughs> you had a wild sex party involved yes. with a bunch of perverted, uh, powerful white men. Yes. I mean, come on. You know how much I love... Perverted, powerful perverted- white men, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, preferred what power. Why do you think he's doing this podcast with yeah, us, Josh? Absolutely. Hello, of that's course. Our, that's I our mean, next. That's our spinoff podcast that we're going to be launching in the fall. <laughs> is the perverted powerful white men podcast? EPWM, oh, baby. Yeah, oh, it's going to be number one in iTunes. Oh God, it's going to be number one in something uh, <laughs> on like the watch list of uh, I don't know. And white guy tunes. Yeah. That's what it's going to be number one in. White tunes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Jeremiah, well, I, you've been waiting. Was, you've been waiting for this scene since before this season even aired. We've talked about. It. You've been you've been dying for this. So you got what you wanted. Yeah, Jeremiah, can you actually yeah. set that up for people who maybe don't remember this? Um, why was this scene at the mansion? Why was this anticipated for people? Yeah, I don't remember all the details of the story, but a story had leaked quite a while back ago that there that the. True Detective had hired at least at least two, if I remember right, porn stars to shoot a scene with some major scene with a lot of sex orgies and things like that going on. And apparently one of the big things that a lot of people were confused about is they said that the two porn stars that they hired didn't even get naked in the episode. I'm not even quite sure which one of which porn stars it was, to be honest with you. I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's the so Russian least- guy. It's the Russian mm-hmm. guy she stabbed to death at the end of the episode. Oh, is that yeah. who it was? Yeah. Okay. What you do? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't remember all the details from the story, but it basically the, it leaked that there was going to be some some pretty uh, messed up sex scenes uh, that was going to take place right. in this season. So that's what everybody had been waiting for, and uh, we got it, and it was pretty good. You know what's so bad is I know this is going to make me sound like a total pervert. Oh God, we're yeah. too late for that. <laughs> yep, <laughs> we're already there. Pump bro. the brakes, brother. <laughs> I was actually expected to be even worse than that than it really was. Like like. You think of uh, Eyes Wide Shut and all these other movies that we've seen over the years and t- that had we- some really unusual sex moments. I was expecting something even worse than that. I don't know what I, I thought for sure was going to happen, but I just thought it was going to be just like so out there disgusting. And this, you know, I was like, okay, it was, it was good, but I mean, it wasn't, you know – crazy or anything you know and i mean i had you know personally i've been complaining for a while now that we haven't seen enough nudity this season and even though they definitely got that they nailed that this uh, in this episode wow. for sure. well something got nailed a few things got nailed people got nailed in so many ways yes, there was yes. a lot of nailed there was a lot of nailed references in this episode i think we're nailing the nail so, references right now. but i mean you know overall i thought that the episode was i kind of felt like just like antonio it was it was good it wasn't necessarily great there obviously was some issues with it I, of course everyone talks about the terrible dialogue that's still going on in this season but you know despite that though it still was uh, you know very exciting episode to watch especially leading up to the big uh bust there on the party so i don't i i think that uh it's still early for me to say it's the best episode 
episode, but it could it could wind up being the best episode. Well, that was going to be my next question. Do you think that this was the best episode of the season? You're saying it's too early for you. Antonio, for you so far, is this the best episode or not quite that high? Do you have another candidate for that? That's the problem is I'm thinking of other candidates and I'm not sure um, I'm not sure what they are. Down Will Come had, obviously, the great uh, kind of well-shot, crazy ending on the, the you know the the long shootout uh, but i'm trying to remember the rest mm-hmm. of that episode um i don't know this was a very good episode there it's i struggle to say it's just really difficult because some of the things that were set up in this episode weren't really it's not like they brought a lot of things to conclusion they actually introduced a lot of more a, a lot more confusing things as we <laughs> talked about so uh, hard right. to say best episode of the season but uh but I, I mean, I really did like that big shootout at the end of episode four. And honestly, the the, the premiere episode wasn't terrible. I uh, mm-hmm. I like the way that kind of set up the aesthetic for the season, and I still like some of the shots from that episode the best. Uh, so I think maybe I prefer the premiere episode for sure, and probably down will come as well. Okay, um, I think in terms of scenes and sequences, I think that there have been a few real standouts this season. We've talked about um, sort of like the limbo world that Ray slinks off to after he's been shot by the Birdman. And he has, you know, this this drink with his dad and there's the singer and all that stuff. We liked that. Uh, we, we were really mm-hmm. hyped up on that scene. That was a scene that we all really loved here on the podcast. The shootout is another real standout for me. This is this is a real standout, but it seems to be a little bit divisive. Is this big climax at the manor this week? Um, everything that goes down in the final Crazy. few minutes, I think, is a contender for best sequence of the whole season. I think it's those three right now for me. Is it's, it's that dream sequence, it's the shootout, and then I think everything here. And I think that one of the big reasons why it's divisive is the music a lot of people not digging the music that is played at the end of the scene and i understand why it wouldn't be some people's tastes uh but for me i thought it was uh i thought it was phenomenal it was um written by uh american composer john adams it is a song uh, or a piece rather i can't pronounce it this is a german word it's harmony hermione Hermione. Hermione. Sure. Uh, it's, sure. Ger- it's German for, <laughs> for study of harmony. Um, it was, uh, have you guys been reading about this song at all? Has anyone, anyone here re- read about the song? No, but I, I, I'm no joke. I met John Adams about two months ago. Is it true? Yeah. Really? I saw uh, him perform a piece of his at the Cincinnati symphony. He did a, like a, a sequel to Scheherazade, to Rimsky-Korsakov Scheherazade, and he did his own kind of take on what a sequel to that would be. So he conducted the CSO, gave a big performance, did a thing after. Uh, he's an interesting cat. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. It, it, I thought that it was it was interesting. It was a very strange choice. I think I, it, it felt like it really lent to the mood of just um, mm-hmm. total nightmare fuel going on for Annie, certainly as she's you know on this awful Molly trip. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you trip on Molly? Is that is that what is that the correct term? Hmm, Josh, I guess so tragically unhip. Wow, yeah, you mo- you molly out. You're mollying so hard. <laughs> no, I, I think th- it's called rolling, Josh. I've never mo- mollied before. I think it's yeah. called rolling. All right, well, she's rolling, rolling with the homies as she is on this molly, and she is rolling to some John Adams music as she's reliving <laughs> some horrible, horrible traumas uh, and living through some new ones, making new tra- traumatic memories. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was a terrific scene. I thought that it was, it was really well paced, really well executed. Uh, the Russian guy, well executed as well. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, what did she do? I mean, that's you do get the payoff on Chekhov's knife work, right? Like we saw, we see yes. her 
throughout the series working on these knives and doing things with the knives. The knives we had see to it come in out. In this episode, the knives had to come out. She, she found one there at the party. She, she immediately, uh, kind of, put it to use good for her on that i i don't know i did so you like the music i love the music i i don't know that it was the best fit for true detective it had didn't really fit with what we've seen on the rest of this series of true detective but to me it harkened back to a lot of great classic cinema hitchcock and uh, the bernard yes. herman scores and so many hitchcock movies and things like that i mean i thought that was a really fantastic piece of music uh, that that was playing there, and I can understand why it was discordant and struck some as out of place and really rubbed people the wrong way. But that doesn't mean that it's not a great piece of music, and that there can't be shows that that build really well uh, with this kind of music. It, it was certainly interesting to hear it in True Detective. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it was just it was very weird and had this this feeling of pure panic and chaos and pandemonium as we are entering a true nightmare world through Annie and what is actually a nightmarish situation that's going on in this manner with these powerful perverted white men as we've been calling them here <laughs> seeing a, seeing a lot of people in high positions of power just being awful to women which has been a real through line of this season so far and really came to a boil in this week's episode in a way that it hasn't before um seeing it as as not only something that's presently happening and something that's probably going to continue to happen unless our guys can do something about it but something that happened to annie and finally pulling the curtain back on a lot of the danger and a lot of the trauma and all the awfulness that she has been through and i think it just i don't know i think it, it was a very confusing musical choice that worked really well for me for kind of just the pure sadness and sorrow and awfulness and decay and all of these terrible feelings that you're supposed to be feeling in this moment in time. I think it's just a, a really kind of powerful contrast. Um, and all, the, the song itself is worth digging into uh, a little bit. It's based on the legend of the Fisher King. Do you guys know the legend of the Fisher King? That's not the Yellow King, right? It's not the it's... Yellow King. Although the Fisher King may be yellow as well. It could be. It yeah. could be. Um, <laughs> I, I was not super familiar with the Fisher King. No, it's, I'm not familiar. It's, Isn't it, the Fisher King kind of involved with the, the Holy Grail or whatever? Yes. Isn't he the, the knight that kind of hangs out that we saw in the last crusade? I knew you'd come. Yeah, I don't know. Is that the <laughs> Fisher King? That's the guy? Oh, I don't know. I think he's like the last, like the last knight who's keeping the grill. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I might I think, be crazy. I think you might be right. So I, this is this is new to me. This is not something that I'm deeply familiar with. But I went down the Reddit rabbit hole today uh, with the oh, Fisher boy, King, no. stemming oh, from this from this Hope song. You protection. Yes, which is called. It's this is uh, the second movement in the composition that we were listening to in the episode. It's called the Anfortis Wound, uh, and it is based on the Fisher King, the legend of the Fisher King, which is. The Fisher King or the Wounded King, this is from Wikipedia, is the last in a long line charged with keeping the Holy Grail. Versions of his story vary widely, but he is always wounded in the legs or groin and incapable of moving on his own. In the Fisher King legends, he becomes impotent and unable to perform his task himself, and he also becomes unable to father or support a next generation to carry on after his death. His kingdom suffers as he does, his impotence affecting the fertility of the land and reducing it to a barren wasteland. All he is able to do is fish in the river near his castle and wait for someone who might be able to heal him. Healing involves the expectation of the use of magic. Knights travel from many lands to heal the Fisher King, but only the chosen can accomplish the feat. Uh, and then further hmm. along, there's a few there's a few different versions of how 
this story ends. One with um, with Percival. Percival comes to the Grail Castle. This is further in the Wikipedia entry. Upon entry, Percival sees a beautiful castle and is surprised when he discovers that the Fisher King is the one to welcome him in. Him in. After entering, Percival is given a sword by the Fisher King and then celebrates Percival's arrival with a huge feast. During the feast, at the beginning of every course, a procession containing a candelabra, a bleeding lance, and a grail are all brought through the dining hall. Percival watches the objects go by and fails to ask the Fisher King about each procession. After the feast ends, Percival retires to his room and, once awakening from slumber, discovers that the castle is in ruin and everyone is gone. Over time, Percival discovers that the failure to ask about the procession causes the Fisher King's wound to remain unhealed. Unfortunately, the story ends here. Oh, boy. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's a lot, to, a lot to chew on. I mean, it just struck- That was deep, bro. Well, it's, it just—it struck me. I mean, I, this is one one of the things that you could say you can't really say about True Detective is. I mean, I think basically everything is pretty deliberate. You know, music choices are going to be deliberate. If it ties into something with the Fisher King, that's that's not completely accidental. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some thought going into it. Whether or not you think it's too much thought, not enough thought, a little bit of a red herring, uh, which the Fisher King would probably be able to fish for himself. Uh, I think that there's ob- <laughs> there's obviously a lot going on into into a lot of these choices on this. I think that's one of the things that Nick Pizzolatto is very interested in, whether or not he does well, your mileage will vary. But one of the things that just really caught my eye is that this season has been dealing with legacy and fertility and uh, impotence. And all of this stuff has been on the stories, you know, written all over the stories of certainly Raymond and Frank. Ray not being sure that he is Chad's father, being pretty sure that he's probably not. Frank not being able to have a, a child with his wife and being very concerned about his legacy so i don't know i'm yammering on quite a bit but i just thought that that was really interesting i'm wondering if that piques your interest at at all as well well it does and i do i do think i think you nailed it right there i think that's exactly what the reason for that choice of that song and i do agree that that nick is definitely the the type of guy who is going to take makes choices for for reason and uh personally i i thought the music worked well i thought it was great of course i mean i am the kind of guy who sits around and listens to compose scores for film for fun so maybe i'm not the guy to ask but i thought it worked beautifully and i think uh hearing how it ties in with the fish king stuff i think that's uh, fantastic what do you think antonio well, I mean, John Adams, it's funny because I know for a fact, kind of, he is very inspired by literature and he's inspired mm-hmm. to take existing works of art and interpret them into his own medium. And so, in a way, that's what's happening here, right? John Adams certainly didn't write this piece of music for True Detective. Pizzolatto probably knew the piece of music yeah, and maybe a, was inspired. It's a 1985 composition. Right. So maybe he was inspired by it and thought this would be a very, a very interesting thing uh, to, to weave into a story or I don't know. And uh, in, in being influenced by the Fisher King when, and the story when writing it, um, it, it comes out in the music. I think that there's some very interesting elements of that. One of the things that uh, that that John Adams is known for is that he took some like I think he took some. Emily Dickinson poems and made music kind of out of them. And Scheherazade, of course, is an interpretation of the Thousand and One Nights of Scheherazade. So it, it, there's all of this kind of like, oh, oh works can interpret or, or, or inspire, I should say, other works. And so I like that. I like that aspect of that with Pizzolatto. I like, I like that there's a kind of – because there were all these allegations of plagiarism in season one. 
mm-hmm. and there's a, the, the fine line between inspiration uh, and straight up copying and where that all kind of plays out. And so I think it's really kind of an interesting meta thing to look at. And yeah, you're right, Josh. True Detective, there nothing's in there on accident. Things are obviously put in there to be red herrings or to inspire the kind of discussions that goes on more so than just about any show currently on television. I feel like this show's currency is that. That's what the show trades in. That's what the show is kind of amped up on doing. Uh, and I'm not sure. We'll see if the audience at the end of the season feels okay about that because there's so much talk of these symbols in the background of scenes. And, and we talked about this throughout. You go, you're, you're getting Pizzolatto, you're getting True Detective, you're going down those wormholes. Is this another example of that? Probably, but that doesn't mean that it ultimately also doesn't have a positive impact on the end product of the show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. what, what else should we, should we just stick at the mansion while we're here? Should we just, should we unpack that? Or is there anywhere else you want to go first in this episode? Yeah, you're taking a lead, my friend. I'm, we're cool. I'm cool with staying with the party for now. Well, I, I'd like to know what you guys think, really, of, of what we kind of learn about Annie here. Uh, we learn, mm-hmm. I, I'd say, the she's on MDMA, so she's rolling. She's got some things going on. But I do think that that's a memory, right, of, of, of a very unfortunate thing that happened to her when she was younger yeah. uh, with a bearded man. Are, are we... Are we supposed to be tracking whether this bearded man has appeared anywhere else on screen this season? Is he the guy in the picture with the beard uh, at the Chizani Lodge? Are, are we really interested in any of that? Or is this really only meant to say, wow, some really seriously screwed up stuff happened to Annie, just like we kind of suspected? Well, the latter is certainly true, obviously. Uh, you know, and, and it was I thought it was done in a pretty artful way where you would see the man and you would see Rachel McAdams in this like dream-like state walking with the man. And I, I'm appreciative of that, that we didn't have to see too much of Annie as a little child, although you do see her hand, you know, you see a little girl's mm-hmm. hand going into this man's hand and right there, you know, your heart breaks and you feel you know sick because you know what this means. Um, obviously she was abused as a kid. And I think that there'd been a lot of clues that something along those lines had happened in her past. She's obviously, she's very traumatized by something. She's, um, you know, constantly worried about self-protection and, and I don't know. I, I think that it was it was fairly clear throughout the season that something really awful had happened to her in her past. And although we don't know the absolute particulars of the thing, and hopefully we won't know them all, uh, we have a very very big piece of the puzzle here is revealed. That uh, yeah, I, I don't think that this was just you know some killer Bob type of figure. I think that this was you know somebody from her past who did a very awful thing to her. Whether or not that's somebody who is on the show as well, that's another question. Um, I hadn't thought about it really until you just brought it up. I, I had really only thought about it in terms of how it kind of further defines Annie as a character. Um, but Antonio, do you think that this is somebody that we're supposed to suspect is on the show already? I hope not. I mean, I, I wasn't Sort of the same it. deal with, uh, with like Paul's dad that we were talking about last yes, week. Yes, exactly. It's, it's one of those open questions that I think that this show more than any show would possibly answer if uh, they wanted it to be answered. I think the paper trail would be there in the background of these scenes. I want to talk about a couple more paper trails that are a little bit more evident from previous episodes after what we saw tonight. But I don't think this is necessarily one of them, other than that we know something horrible did happen to Annie. I think that it probably happened not as something surreptitious or like uh, under the uh, guise of something else. I think that that probably the 
sort of thing that her father was facilitating, I hate to say. Oh, really? Um, yeah, my belief is that that's all based on the Children of God religious group that, and I've talked about this on the podcast, that Joaquin and River Phoenix were brought up in, uh, wherein there it was essentially a, a free kind of love cult um, where the Joaquin Phoenix uh, had sex with a woman who was, I guess, 30 or 40 years older than he was when he was like 10 or 11 or 12. Uh, and it was done at his parents sort of, uh, you know, uh, the over, you know, they were overseeing it. They were letting it happen. Uh, and that was the sort of thing that, that existed out there at that time in the world. Uh, and so it makes sense, I think, that this would be happening. And that was the early 70s that that all went down. And I do think that that's kind of supposed to be the, I think it's called the good people or whatever his group was. I think that's sort of uh, an analog to that Children of God cult that had happened. So I don't think this is something that secretly happened to Annie. I think this is something that you talk about five kids grew up in that cult two of them died two of them are in jail and one of them is her so that means it's happening not just to like one of them but probably all of them and i think it was happening as part of what her father was doing wow yeah and that's that's kind of how i felt too i don't know if this makes you feel guys feel better about it but that's that's what i took away from this because we we've known that there is obviously some terrible things that had happened to her in the past and i think this was their way of just kind of finally giving us a glimpse it worked out perfectly artistically for them to do at this point where she was under the influence and i thought i felt like it was just to give us a glimpse of finally of what possibly obviously some really terrible things that happened to her when she when she was young and i thought it was perfectly well done and i don't think it has anything else to do with uh what's going on with the case wow so that's how that's why i came away from it oh man so david morris better get knifed (laughs) we we want to knife annie's dad if he is involved in this yeah i mean it it, it will be interesting i don't know if we're gonna get i hadn't really thought about that that makes me upset yeah, I don't know if we're going to get a real clear, a clear answer on that. But we I mean, I, I, I think that that's sort of the kind of analog that's going on there. If you look at the timeline of development and you, you kind of read between the lines of what may have happened when, when he was younger and the sorts of things he was into then that he's not into now and the hostility that is there between Annie and her father. I mean, maybe it's just as simple as she blames him because – he wasn't there to protect right. her when it happened. It could be something as simple as that. But I think it might be a, a simple little bit being more, a relative term, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, yeah, you're talking to somebody who's worked as a lawyer with sure. abuse victims a lot. So um, that's a pretty, unfortunately, a pretty common scenario in, in our in our world. Yeah. But yeah. but what I would say is that is that I think it's a little more sinister than that. I, I do think that there's some suggestion. I mean, he's in pictures with these guys, Pitler and Chisani and all these people who we know are much more deviant characters than just somebody who, oh, happened to let this happen or have this happen on his watch. I think this is more of a facilitation kind of thing. Yeah, and really recontextualizes the whole, what is porn? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, because he has very, a very... Yes, he has a very evolved, if you want to put that in quotes, view of sexuality uh, that probably is in some ways a defense for this crazy things, these crazy things that he did when he was younger, knowing that they're wrong and not admitting it. I think that that's probably a lot of what, what was going on there. I, I could be way wrong on that. I'm not sure we're ever going to really get the full story there, uh, but I, I, I sense that there may be something. So what do you think, you know, let's, let's take the, the, that, that part of it aside. Let's take the, let's take the dad out of it for now and just focus on uh us finding out this piece of information about annie which we're you know we're still assuming but it it felt to me like you know that's that's where 
that's where our heads are supposed to be at, that Annie was abused as a kid. Um, so let's, let's roll with that for a bit. I said roll with it. Uh, and and let's, let's, let's follow that through a little bit. Antonio, where do you think that's going to bring us with Annie as a character? Like, what do you think is the significance of us finding this information out and assuming that, you know, the next episode takes place fairly shortly after this one, she still might be coming down from what she's on right now. She might still be fairly emotionally vulnerable and open. She's also just killed a guy, which might not be great news. Um, where do you think that this is leading Annie and us emotionally? Emotionally, it's a very good question. I, I think we've seen throughout the context of this season that she sort of has this kind of bulldog emotional mentality of protecting people, specifically uh, people who may be victims of sex crimes or people who may be subject to that sort of thing. She's really not letting a lot of that go throughout the course of the season. She's busting her sister's kind of cam show up. She's not comfortable with anything that's happening there. She's starting to feel increasingly ever more uncomfortable with everything that's going on with these parties, her missing, the missing woman that she was looking for, uh, the, the crime that happens at the beginning of this episode, uh, or at least that she's investigating at the beginning of this episode with the, the cabin that she doesn't really want to let go. Uh, she's already the kind of person who I think by virtue of what she experienced when she was younger carries this with her. And the one thing I'm interested in, I don't know about emotionally, but narratively, she went to that party as her sister. Her sister, or she and the woman who she took away, uh, her missing person, uh, the, 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 her name is Vera, um, that, they're the only people The woman who's are, been missing since the beginning of the series, too. Yes, yeah. they're the only people that are missing from that party. So I think it's going to become quickly evident that uh, it's Athena Bezzarides who maybe is on the run here. Uh, and I, where that kind of – is that going to blow back to the actual Athena? She's been living a pretty damn good life. She seems to be on the upswing. So yeah. narratively, I'm a little worried for Athena. Yeah. I was too, and I think that's one of the things that I took away was thinking, oh, man, the fallout from this is going to be really bad for her sister. Oh, no. So, yeah, we had the same question from Jason Burning on post-show recaps on our show page, and he said, do you think she might end up dead or in trouble? Was her name used to get into the party? The guards are going to round up everybody at the party, figure out what happened, and they have her purse with who knows what in it. And also, Athena Bezzarides, not a common name. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't oh, know. there's if- like a thousand Athena <laughs> Bezzarides out there in California, in Northern California. It's fine. Probably. There, it's such a common name that when it was mentioned to Pitler, he was like, Bezzarides? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally. Are you one of the only four Bezzarides that exist in the world? Okay, let's right. talk to you about that. Hey, listen, as a wiggler, I can relate. Not a lot of us. <laughs> there are dozens of us. There are dozens. <laughs> dozens. Yeah, yeah but I, I just, I'm, I'm a little worried when you say that Annie is rolling and she's a little bit kind of hazy and, and a little screwed up. I think that that's all true. And there that may not be, be time for her, for her to get to Athena. Yeah, yeah that could there be may not be bad. time. So that could be real bad. Do you, Jeremiah, do you think that that's something that would happen quick uh, for, for Athena? Is, is this something that these uh, perverted, rich, and powerful white men are going to act on really fast? Do you think that Athena is <laughs> in, like, immediate danger? I would say she, yeah, she's in immediate danger as to what I would think because these guys are not going to waste any time. They're going, they want to get to the. I'm sure they're going to want to get to this bottom of this quickly and shut up whoever it is. And that I think it could really, if something goes bad for her, it's going to happen really, really early on in this in this first episode. Think about who episode. will be doing that. It's Blake. It's the redheaded henchman of Frank uh, who was running that party. 
who kind of accosts Annie when she's getting on the bus and says, "Oh, you're freelance, huh? You're older than you, you know, you represented, but right. you've got something." He not only he remembers her, and that's him. That's a guy we already know what he's like. So uh, I think to expect a, a response is a pretty fair thing to expect based on what we know. Yeah, you know? and I'm wondering what that what that looks like. Is it as straightforward as these guys are going to kill Athena out of retaliation, or is it almost you know? almost worse that they could they could torture her they could they could uh you know they could abduct her they could use her as a bargaining chip for our true detectives who have uh all of the the contracts with signatures that implicate all of these high-powered men that were i would assume we're going to find out the identities of some of these people definitively next week at least for one masuka from uh dexter was at the party so there's definitely people that we recognize who's he's running for governor now right that guy yeah. yeah, he's running for governor yeah. with, a, with a new war chest and all these things. Right. He's a real sneaky guy. So, you know, the que- the question is, you know, it's really opening up of, of less of like which one of these people killed Casper and more like how many of these people are involved and how high up does it go? These are people who could be, even if they weren't involved in the Casper killing itself, these are people who are deeply entrenched in this dangerous thing that our people are investigating. And could they use Athena as a bargaining chip to get some of that information back? Sure. I'm just, I'm fanficking pretty hard right now. No, but I mean, I think that that's right. Like I, and I think this, there's, there are those kind of hints in the story that this whole thing, there's some kind of secretive blackmail, uh, you know, working people over for evidence, torture. We've seen scenes of it. We saw scenes of it this week with Vince Vaughn nailing someone. And, and we, we just know that that's sort of the, the bigger story that's in play with Casper, uh, is that he probably was blackmailing people and he probably did have evidence against others. And so it stands to reason that Athena may be used in the same fashion. Uh, it could absolutely happen. Regardless, I don't think anything good comes of this, and I hope hopefully Annie will get to her first, and that'll be the end of it. But I, I don't think that will be the case. Yeah. The fact that Annie finds Vera at the sex party and Vera had been working for her father and then went missing is not a great look for her father. No, neither is that new ponytail. No, well, that ponytail's been a bad look for David Pierce. Yeah, that doesn't work. But no, it isn't a great look for him. Uh, And I don't know how directly that look is going to be investigated by Annie. I don't know that Annie truly feels that her father is continuing to be a facilitator for these people. But I think it's just enough to say that he runs close enough to the circles where this sorts of thing are happening uh, that he that he's almost guilty by association. In fact, he is guilty by association with a lot of the very people who are involved in these things. He, in fact, provides the picture to show exactly what his association level is. So I don't know that he's really involved in it currently. But, I mean, it all stirs up all these negative feelings of the past uh, and negative interactions that have already been had with him on the show. So I don't know that it's going to be this great climax where he's been involved all along with being the facilitator and the man behind the curtain. But I just think it is a bad look, like you said, regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can we talk about these very convenient documents that they were able to get out of a unlocked drawer? Are you talking about those contracts with signatures all over? Yeah. (laughs) Can we talk about about that? Because uh, one of the questions I have for Antonio, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this or not, Antonio, but would would they even be able to use as as evidence in in a court of law? Because it was illegally obtained, probably yes. not. They call that fruit from the poisonous tree. Uh, if you oh. if you're obtaining evidence after you violated some law, you probably can't use it in a court. 
Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to use it to sort of influence the decisions that they make. And police and, and law enforcement are very good at uh, kind of drawing that, like attenuating themselves from the taint, as they put it in, in the law. Uh, right. They'll get far away from that negative, uh, you know, event if they intend to use any of it. I think the bigger concern on that is if Ray's working for Frank and Ray has access to that information, Frank is not worried about extrajudicial killing. That's something he wants to engage in. That's so true. that evidence may be very helpful for Frank, uh, not yeah, so much part of their case. Um, signed contracts, I mean, we saw... Let, let's talk about that. Because uh, this, this is a scene where I'm not sure I truly understood what they were getting at in this scene. Very conveniently, perhaps in the way that you only see uh, in cartoons uh, or really bad movies, uh, Taylor Kitsch's uh, Paul is standing outside of the window just in time for us to see Osip. Uh, and the gentleman, uh, is his name McCardles? What's his name? The guy from, uh, the, guy from the, the holding company, from Catalyst. He, he's able to he oh, over, yeah. he's over to overhear them in this office saying, oh, are you ready to do this deal? It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Let's right. form a new alliance under a full moon. I want you to do exactly what you, you know, like you did with, uh, like you were doing with Semyon's money. Like, what what is going on there? So Osip has cut Frank out of the deal. He's making the deal himself. Or is there some suggestion that Catalyst actually has Frank's money? Were you guys following that at all? I I was trying to. I mean, it, it, there was so much going on. It was kind of hard to figure that out for sure. But it kind of seemed like it was maybe implying that that's that's possible. Uh-huh. I wouldn't put it past any of these guys for doing anything like that, right? It it definitely does make it look like Osip has a hand to play in the Casper thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest takeaway is that Osip has no problem kind of moving on and still doing this deal. He's just doing it without Frank behind Frank's back, right? And the guy from Catalyst basically says, oh, we're going to hide your investment as in, in marketing and, uh, and those sorts of kind of uh, as a line item on a budget. You, you know, your money's not going to necessarily appear, so it's going to be secretive. And that's when Osip says, oh, you mean like with Semyon's? And I, I just couldn't tell if Osip was saying like you were going to do with Frank's money that way or you have already done right. with the money. And because Catalyst's response is what happened with Frank is between him and Casper. So if Catalyst kills Casper and they're trying to get Frank to get all of this information, what's the game with Frank? That's a good question. That's a really good question. And I don't know I don't know if that's not gonna be able if we can be quite answer that quite yet though, right? I mean it's it's hard to say. Yeah, I don't know what the game I don't know about game. I don't know anything of that. I, I guess I would say that if Catalyst killed Casper, it was because Casper had this hard drive, because we know Catalyst is concerned about it. And probably uh, Casper was trying to blackmail people at Catalyst. We, we see the guy right there at the party. Right. So this is clearly the kind of thing the guy gets into. He apparently does business deals this way. This is the very sort of thing that Annie was kind of going undercover to try to uncover. Like she wanted to get in that, that house and snoop around and find sniff this sort of this very sort of thing out. And so... We know that this guy from Catalyst is doing deals this way. We know Casper has been to these parties. We know Casper was probably blackmailing people from these parties. He was right. probably blackmailing this guy from Catalyst. So maybe the guy from Catalyst has Casper killed because he's blackmailing him. And then, unfortunately, 
uh, doesn't have the tape. That doesn't make a lot of sense, though, because Catalyst paid for Frank's sex dungeon, which is where the hard drive was. So you would think Catalyst would know where that place was and where the yeah. hard drive was. It just There's not yeah, a lot of sense in that. That's why that does – yeah, that's why, unfortunately, that there's a hole there that, that makes that story not work. You know, and, and, and all these guys, I mean – it would just be too obvious if any of these guys really had anything to do with Casper and Murr, as far as I'm concerned. Right. I mean, there's definitely there's other things involved here when it comes to this murder, which you know I'm sure we probably won't know the full extent of that until the very final episode. I'm sure. Well, may- maybe, maybe not. I mean, we're we're heading. We have two episodes left. We're heading into the penultimate next week. We have right. all of the contracts with signatures on them. You got it all over them. We're, we're gonna get. We're <laughs> gonna, we're gonna get. Some, we're gonna get some answers out of that. Hopefully, and you know, if you recall, True Detective season one, the Yellow King is identified at least by the audience by the end of the penultimate episode. Uh, right. So I would I would expect by next week we're gonna have something similar to that, just because that's where the story is right now. It fits with where we were last year, even though it's a very different story. I just feel like it's the mm-hmm. right timing for it. It's going to build up some anticipation. At least that's where I where I hope we are. Um, let's let's follow. Let's let's go from here. Let's follow it to to Ray. We haven't talked a lot about Ray. Ray had a really crazy week, um, and I, and I'm wondering where you want to start with Ray. It, it's you know, do we want to talk about the 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 rapist first? Did we do we move the ball very far on that story, Antonio? This week we have a sit down between Ray. And the rapist, the person who may or may not be Chad's father, but does not have That's the red hard. hair to back it up. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, you said Ray pissed. I was like, what was he pissed about? I don't, all he tore up his apartment. No, rapist. <laughs> Ray's pissed. Ray. Oh, pissed. sorry about that. Ray. Yeah. yeah, I look. Let, let's uh, let, let's talk about this. Let's really let's really get into this. Uh, we can, we oh, had a question from Alex Wilpon, a great f- uh, friend of this show on post show recaps. And Alex, uh, she said, "We're not buying that the guy in prison is the rapist and Chad's mm-hmm. father, right?" Ray said he saw it in his eyes, but Chad looks nothing like him. I think the paternity test Ray's ex wife is continuing to insist on will prove that. I also don't think there's any viable option besides Blake at this point. Blake being the redheaded henchman of of frank right, right so i think i'm i'm really on team ray is chad's father at this point wow i'm that's where i want to plant a flag i think ray is wouldn't chad's that father. be great yeah after all of it <laughs> after it's all said and done ray is going to end up being chad's dad i really think that's what's going to happen here. wow so but somewhere, the, somewhere I, yeah, earlier could... in his line he's got the the recessive ginger gene yeah just the ginger yeah. genes. there you go i could totally go for that uh antonio i like that actually I, I mean, think I just, that would work pretty pretty well. I, I think that it actually draws a little bit of a bow on this whole, I'm your father, I'm your father, I'm your father. And Ray kind of needs that to... He, he, to feel legitimate so much so that when he goes on this crazy bend, have you guys ever gone on a bender like that, by the way? No. Well, once, no. but, uh, <laughs> it was about three hours ago. I'm, I'm back. I'm okay. <laughs> coming, coming down. <laughs> Just coming you, down. Bring, Jay, it, if you, bring it down. Pan horse. <laughs> if you did lines of Coke that fat dude, I don't think I'd talk to you for like a week. <laughs> dude, like you would be like a wolf I, man. You'd be tearing down the woods. No, that that, and the I know wolf, there was the a lot of people might be tearing you down according to the prophecy. <laughs> there was a lot of people. There was a lot of people jokes made about that because let's let's be honest. You're right. He would be so messed up after all that. Oh my gosh, nah, <laughs> he's crazy. Isn't, isn't Colin Farrell? Didn't does isn't he known for like destroying a hotel room? Didn't that happen or isn't something? Isn't that Kiefer Sutherland? 
Well, Keith uh, Sutherland destroys anything. Uh, Christmas trees, hotel lobbies, hotel rooms. But uh, no, I thought Colin Farrell uh, is known I, for like some kind he's of destruction. Got some stories. That guy's got some stories. So I, you know, there have been some people questioning like the way that the bender was portrayed and it wasn't realistic. You know what? Ask freaking Colin Farrell. I'm sure he could tell you. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm sure he could tell you a thing or two. I thought that was. I thought that he was, was not great. acting in that scene. No, basically. I thought that. Was, I thought that stuff was great. I thought that was a uh, that was an incredible. And, thing. And, and seriously, you know, that's what happens when you watch a lot of Friends. You know, you wind up going on a bender like that, right? <laughs> yeah, the one where Chandler had the bender. <laughs> yeah. But why break models? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the models. That was very sad. But why male models? Yeah. Well, that would be... Listen, if, if Antonio, if but, you're right, and if Ray is the father... Ray, you are the father! If he oh, is oh. if he is the dad, and we put the Giles theme song music to him dancing around learning that he's the father, he's going to feel like a real asshole for A, destroying the <laughs> models... And B, for saying, I promise to never see him again. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Now, remember, the models represent death and killing. So that's why he destroyed the models. Metaphor. (laughs) Isn't that what the kid, isn't that what his son said? Isn't that what Chad said? Yeah, that's the about making the model, and he goes, oh, that. Yeah, that that those those things represent killing people. So but. he's crushing death underfoot. <laughs> yes, yes. Wow, Ray Valcaro <laughs> is going to be at the at the top of the heap of bodies at the end of this. Thing. You make a good point though, Josh. If he comes up, if the news comes out that he is actually the real father, he's going to really regret yeah. making that deal. Oh, <gasps> I messed up. Don't. I screwed up. Take back. Can yeah. I take that back? Reset button. <laughs> I didn't really mean that. <laughs> well, it, it may not matter ultimately if he dies. Like, what what would be the ultimate irony or the the kind of crazy sort of let's put a button on this character arc? Is let's say that he does die in some great shootout at the end of the you know near the end of the final episode. But then we we his wife has the paternity test has already had it before he dies anyway. The results come in and we find out what Ray never learned while he was alive, right. which is that he actually was Chad's father. Right. Like, and I, can I think see that's that really playing happen. out. Oh, uh, and that would yeah. really, I mean, that would really play into the whole red herring thing. You know, it's a, it's sure. a, it's a true red herring on the show that this kid has red hair. <laughs> red H A I R. Yeah. It's a red herring and it's a, and it's Blaine <laughs> has hashtag. red hair. It doesn't even matter. Um, I could, I could see it. And I think that the other piece of it too, is it would have sort of, um, you know, a cosmic similarity with the ending of the first season of the show, uh, you know, with there being, you know, McConaughey's character, again, spoiler alert if you didn't see the first season, McConaughey's character, Rust, at the end of the thing, who's been, you know, so cynical and all of the stuff and, you know, nihilistic and everything, and at the end, he looks into the void and the void looks back at him and he's a bit of a believer at the end of the thing. Um, this feels like a close cousin to that, this kind of ending for Velcoro, dead or alive, but having the faith that, you know, this is his son, blood or not, it is his son. Um, and having that be paid off with, it actually is his son the whole time, kind of feels similar to the types of ideas that we've seen Pizzolatto uh, be interested in the past. Sure. Yeah, and, and I just, I do think that that is, I think that we have to kind of track that, and we have to look at the other father-son relationships that are present throughout this show uh, that are happening, and that this... This story between Ray and Chad is not is not happening in a vacuum. We already saw the relationship between Ray and his own father, but we see that little moment in this episode between Frank and Stan, whoever Stan is. We see that moment between Stan. Frank and, and Stan's kid. 
and Frank gives actually a pretty good speech about having sol- the kid having solid gold inside of him and taking this opportunity and, and not ignoring it, not not treating it as uh, as the signpost that it is. Like you have to treat it that way, but you don't have to let it define you negatively. And I thought that was a really good speech. I thought that the kid opening up to Frank and wanting to hug him afterwards, uh, when he was sweet. like, I wish people would stop telling me that he was such a good person. I think that Frank breaking through, it's like, hey, Frank could actually be a decent dad here. Like he maybe actually cares yeah. for this kid. Good for Frank. So right. I think there is some of that here. And, and just people's relationship with their children in general. There is a lot of speculation about the Chisanis. I, I want to get into this. We The, the jewel heist. Um we found oh, out yeah. from from this episode that those blue diamonds, right, the ones that are kind of the the, the MacGuffin that are that that are present in this story, the the thing that maybe we're we're really interested in for a while, but it's really just to get us in the bigger story. These diamonds that uh, that are tracking here, we find that they were stolen in a coordinated robbery that used the L.A. riots of 1992 as a cover, uh, and we find that we find out that two kids were orphaned during that the, the killing of the jewelry store owners. There's a lot of speculation that these two kids are actually Tony Chisani uh, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm forgetting the mayor's daughter's name. Yeah, me too. But but I, do you guys buy into that? Are we? Do you want to talk about that at all? Suss that out in any way? Uh, is that something that you think the show is is tipping us off to? We got a few looks at that picture of those kids, right? Yeah, no, I've I've been reading theories about that today. That's a popular theory online on Reddit in the in the day or two after the episode has been airing, and I think that that it 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 connects with the idea that the people who pulled off the heist were LAPD cops who left the LA uh, PD and went to Vinci afterwards. People like Burris and, um, you know, uh, even, even uh, W. Earl Brown's character, Teague Dixon, uh, that those were the people who pulled off the heist. That's something that I've been seeing. We uh, had, we, the, in Ray's conversation with his father, his father actually says that that's what happened with Burris specifically, as well as the chief, that they'd left the LA police force and joined the Vinci police force at the time of the riot. Right. So it really does time out. And it was like, why did they leave? And he said, because they were freaking smart. Yep. Yep. So that happened. I mean, that is something that is in the show. It's not something anyone's inventing. We we know that as backstory. It seems to fit that they might have pulled off this diamond heist. And then at some point, Casper ended up with these diamonds. Right. And these diamonds were fairly easy to track. I mean, all it took was Paul mentioning their cut and clarity and the kind of diamonds they were to an insurance adjuster who remembered them from a robbery 25 years before that, right? And so if he can remember all of that, uh, then it, it seems likely that these, are, th- th- these diamonds were pretty good evidence. We already know Casper's in the blackmail game. So maybe Casper was killed not because of the, the greater kind of blackmail videotape he was making, but maybe because of this original sin, the original sin that put these people in Vinci. Maybe the mayor did adopt these kids. I don't know. Like maybe that's why he's drunk all the time because he feels so terrible about everything that happened. I have no idea if that's the case. And I don't know if Burris then and the chief have engaged in these murders and the cover-up of the murders to try to cover up this particular crime that happened all these many years ago where these two people, innocent people, were shot. Yeah. And these diamonds would take them down. 
I know that they said they had masks on in the videotape and the Birdman wore a mask. Mm. I, I know there's a reason the Birdman didn't kill Ray. Uh, so maybe it's that the Birdman isn't actually that bad of a guy and maybe is actually working against Burris see, and against the chief. See, I feel like I feel like the Birdman is Burris uh people the people who buy into that i feel like they got some ammo this week um when we find out about arena the woman that frank is trying to track down and she's talking about how she was paid to to what to to give information to to like narc out on the the mexican gangsters who were involved in that huge huge shootout in the end of episode four and she mentions a thin white man uh i mean that's burris yeah, she said he's some kind of cop. He's a jefe, like he's like a chief, like he's like the kind of guy that's in charge. So yeah. it's like that's Burris. That's yes. that's definitely Burris. That's Burris, and I mean he was he was on the scene of the Birdman shooting way early. You know, Annie shows up and is surprised to see him there. Um, I I feel like him being Birdman is still very much on the table, and I think that this this theory uh, or sorry this comment from Arena about the thin white man seems to make it a lot more legit that if he's not Birdman, then at least he is really crooked, this guy. Yeah. Unless that's that a that's thin right. white man herring. No, I think that that's right. I mean, I think that we, we do have a lot of evidence that he's crooked as hell. Whether or not he's Birdman, I think, is, is the interesting question to me. Because if he is Birdman, and I'm not sure why he's not in that house getting that hard drive already, if he's really that interested in it uh that he hasn't already tried to pull that out of there um and maybe he did maybe when he shot him as birdman that's when he pulled it out of there but why is he outside waiting for someone to show up right i think it's more likely that the birdman uh is someone that that isn't burris but that is actually maybe working against burris and i and i want to extrapolate this just a little to say if the two kids uh whose names i think in the show were given as leonard and laura if those kids who watch their parents get killed and all of that end up being Mayor Chizani's son and daughter, um, then I think you could conceive of a story wherein they they were at, they're actually working against Burris. They're not on the same side as Burris. That Burris is when they found out that Burris or Casper had information about who actually killed their mom. That's when Casper got killed. Right. Uh, and and that is entirely possible. Uh, and if that's the case, then Burris is actually trying to cover up that original crime. Still, he's not on the same side as those guys. Uh, and so I think that I think that it's entirely possible that we have two separate sets of people. And that Birdman may not have been negatively motivated uh, in any in any way through any step of this, uh, or or I guess murder is a negative motivation, but Typically. that the explanation for it might be a little bit more pure than what we would originally have thought. Yeah, well, I think I think that thematically, um, the the kids that were in this jewel heist ending up being the kids that Chizani adopts. If like if they end up being the Chizani kids, uh, I think that that's a really strong connection to this theme of legacy that's been built throughout the whole show. Uh, this idea of adoption and taking on someone else's sins, as Frank put it at an earlier point in the season, I think that that would connect to that very, very strongly. And I think that that certainly reinforces the, the you know, thematic potential uh, of this being the development that we're going in. Yeah. And we know those kids knew their. We know that the Chisani kids knew their mother, who allegedly committed suicide. But I'm not sure that they. I mean, unless they remember the moment they were born, I'm not sure that they absolutely know. Or how old did it. those kids look in the picture? 
Well, I think they said one of them was like four and the other one was a little older. I think their ages were actually given uh, on screen there. So I'm pretty sure the ages do track to the ages of the of the people, the Chazani children. Right. Um, but I don't know to what extent they were told to never speak of the thing or to what extent they covered it up uh, or they just always called their adopted mother their mother. Uh, that is up for debate, and I don't think it's very clear. And that's a part of this theory that makes it a little murkier. Uh, but I mean, otherwise you got a couple good looks. I think the kids could absolutely have been those kids based on the way the kids looked in the picture. I think that it all fits thematically. Like you said, Josh, it's definitely something to keep your eyes on. Yeah. And I personally, myself, uh, once hearing about all this with the 92 riots and the, where the diamonds came from, I, I, to me, I really, now I've definitely think that maybe one of these kids possibly could be who is responsible for Casper's death. I just, uh, it seems like it fits really nicely and it'd be one of these things we kind of learn towards the end here. And then it would just, we, it would be great for the overall story. I think it really just seems like it makes a lot of sense. And whether or not it's the mayor's kids or not, that's, that would be very interesting to see if that does come, come to fruition as well. That would be very, uh, very interesting to see. But I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, some kind of like a revenge thing or something, you know, for the death of their parents. Yeah. Well, we don't get an 11th hour story like this. It's another mystery put in an episode six, midway through episode six. Yeah, if it's, yeah, just, if it's tied to something else that we still don't know. It has to be tied to something else that, that is going on. And, I mean, it could be tied as simple as Burris committed this original crime uh, and, and kind of fled. And somehow, some way, Casper got evidence of it and was keeping that against Burris and – or Burris was part, or Casper was part of it too, uh, somehow. And then when Casper got killed, that's a big piece of evidence out there that these cops are terrified will get out and tie them uh, to this particular original sin. Like I said, there's no statute of limitations on murder, so they could easily be brought up for this crime. There's one thing that bothers me about the whole thing, and maybe you guys can help me f- see what your where your head starts on this. The two things that bother me: one, then why was Stan killed, and two. Why were they killed in, in the manner they were killed? Right. I guess my follow-up question. Those are the two things that bother me. My follow-up question to Stan? that would be, who is Stan? Yes. And who God the hell is Stan? Yeah. <laughs> you know me way too well. Well, I'm thinking the same thing. Uh, I'm yeah, thinking the same I, thing. I, and I think that's a good question, but Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I had, Jeremiah had that exact question too, actually. Okay. I don't know, I don't know if we know um, why Stan was killed, and I, I don't know if – we got some information this episode, right? We find out from Frank's visit to Stan's widow that Blake had come around after Stan was murdered and was asking a whole lot of questions. Right. And I think that that, that can't go un, unobserved. Is that that oh, happened? Yeah. Blake is Blake he's is involved probably somewhere. involved with a lot of what's happening here, and he's trying to uh, he, cover that up. Is he an undercover cop, and he's working with Burris and Dixon? Maybe the three of them were together working on this. And you mean Stan? Doing whatever. Maybe they were involved. Maybe they all, maybe all of them were involved in the 92 riots, and they're the guys trying to really keep this thing undercover, and, and Blake is also involved in this. Maybe he's an undercover guy or something. Yeah, it's possible. I think we is will find out. I think we will find out. Ultimately, I do think we will find out why Stan, like why did it happen. Uh, and I think that that's, I think that's something that we will ultimately – I don't think all this Stan stuff has been for naught. I think we're going to get some kind of resolution. Stan. Resolution. <laughs> I said loosh, yes. You know that word? Unreal. Uh, I've, heard, I've heard that word before. I Congratulations, have, by the way, Antonio, for, for putting that right in like that. That's perfect. 
Good for but, you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on, but, um, but I think that that is, I think there's a possibility that Stan is, is sort of underground connected to what was going on. Maybe he and Blake were running something behind Frank's back and right. that it did involve the cops. We, we did, we do have this kind of weird thing hanging out there where somebody was asking Chizani if they could run the poker room. Uh, that's way back in episode two or three where that's brought up and it was an outside interest is all we really know. So maybe that was somebody from underneath Frank trying to kind of cut his, his legs out from under him. Maybe that was Blake or Stan or someone like that. And the mayor was using that against Frank. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, let's keep talking about Frank a little bit as we start wrapping up here. Frank, uh, get some new business partners. It's good stuff. He ratifies some alliances in the full moon. Yeah. yeah, those contracts have signatures all over them now. All, all <laughs> they're over they're them. in bed together. Uh, these are not the kind of partners that you want to make, though. So, so, no. so, who are these people? Who who are these people that Frank is now in bed with? These are the guys that showed up at the bar. I believe that was last episode, right? Yes. Uh, ago. And so, who, how are they involved in this? They used to deal drugs out of the club that Frank took over. Uh, yeah. And when Frank when Frank took it back, he said, "I don't need you anymore. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna make the money on this club. Sorry, I know you had an arrangement with the previous owner, but I'm the guy now, and I don't need you." Right. And they sort of walked out angry, and we thought, "Well, that's bad. That's definitely going to come back to haunt Frank one way, in one way, shape, or form." And so, in this episode, Frank shakes down uh, this guy who maybe has information about where this woman is. Frank is sort of—I mean, we've got two investigative squads here working, looking for the same woman, actually, uh, trying to figure out who put her up to pawning the merchandise off, and and where what her connection to the crime was to try to unravel whether the Lido Amarillo murder kind of story—that is, the official story of who killed Casper—is legit or not. So she's the loose end. She's the kind of person who has connections to that who pawned some of the stuff that led the cops back to Amarillo. Right. And Vince Vaughn, Frank, knows about her through Ray. He's tr- trying to work the angles on that. He finds a guy. He nails him. The guy gives him the information about where he might be able to find the girl. He goes to that spot to find the girl and he finds these guys who he's already had the interaction with about drugs at the club. And then a, a, a loose deal is struck wherein he said, hey, you know what? Let me talk to her. If you can put me in touch with her, then I will let you deal drugs in the club and, and we'll do, you know, we'll, we'll review the deal later, but we've got all these conditions. So he gets on the phone with this girl, Frank does, and that's when she tells him, hey, uh, you've got, uh, it, was, it was a cop. He was some kind of jefe, he was some kind of guy in charge. Uh, I know a cop when I see one, thin white guy. Pretty good information she gives Frank there. Frank wants to meet up to have her do a photo lineup. Officer, a thousand bucks when he shows up. Unfortunately, she is dead, and she's been she's been killed by these same guys. And their reasoning is, well, you heard her; she was talking to the police. We had to kill her, and it's like, man, that is, I don't know. So then Frank's in this bad situation now, where he's in bed with these guys, and he's and got he can't a even negotiate for a year. He can't even negotiate for a year. Yep, he's in signatures. Don't all you over hate when contract. it happens? Ah, oh, it's brutal. Oh, oh, man, all, I mean, I don't think that truly matters for Frank. It's just a way of putting him in a bad spot and, and showing that his sort of out-of-control business dealings are putting him in some really difficult positions where he literally walks into a murder scene in this case. Right. And uh, really, this is not good. This is not where the Frank at the beginning of the series when we met him wanted to end up at all. No, absolutely not. And the whole thing really reminded me of a drug deal that went bad for me a few years ago, and it was a very similar situation. Whoa. 
hate when that happens. Bro. Really? Like, Did this happen? You really got to be. You really got to think these things through before you speak, because uh, they come back and bite you. You're still here talking to us, Jeremiah. Wow. Well, we are, we are learning so. I much was able to work Jeremiah. it out, my friend. Wow. Don't you worry about it. Oh my God. Was, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh. I think we are accessories after the fact. As your lawyer, I advise you not to say anything else. <laughs> Be quiet from here out. Do we have to cut the podcast? Do we have to I don't know. Hey, we'll edit this part out. Yeah, we'll edit this part out. We <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely. For your sake, Jeremiah, as much as, I appreciate that. As really much guys, as for really ours. Um, so, so, Anto, you think that these these guys they're not going to be connected to the to the central mystery at all? So much as they are um, kind of instruments of destruction for Frank. In as Frank is starting to move back into gangster territory. Yeah, I think that's really. I mean, I think that's all it okay. really is. And I think that it seemed in this episode to me like Frank was really he was going to put a, a circle right around Burris's head yeah. uh, and we were going to get the answer to that and then these guys walk in and kill her and that's kind of what their their whole reasoning and and force and and present in this episode is probably there to justify yeah Josh. And, and i also think uh probably there to just you know that that move is just a power move obviously you know it's just, yep. oh, look what we can do Yep. Josh, I'm gonna help you out. But the reason, the whole reason why we get to see these guys are involved is only so we could have the Mexican standoff line. That's it. <laughs> That's probably it. Right? <laughs> the whole reason why Nick <laughs> put it in there. You see, what they had that line. So he's like, "Let's bring back the Mexicans." Yeah, yes. he had that line as he was falling asleep. He woke up. He wrote it down. He's like, "Ooh, that's good." An actual Mexican standoff with actual Mexicans. Cross that off the bucket. Vince Vaughn to say it. It'll be yeah, perfect. It'll be perfect. <laughs> uh, what do we think? Was this a good week for Vince Vaughn? I'm seeing a lot of people saying this. This was Vince Vaughn's best week. Yeah, yeah I, I, I thought so. it was good. Yeah, I think this was his best week. That speech to the kid, I thought was really well delivered, and I thought it was heartfelt. I thought that that Vince Vaughn, the actor, found a lot of uh, emotion in that scene, and I think he did a really good job of that. And I, I, yeah, I think this was just his best week overall. I think he's at he's sort of at his wits' end, and he's really trying to do some business here, but um, he's not afraid to, to kind of. He's not just speaking his lines anymore as an actor. I think he actually, I think he owns some of them tonight or last night's episode. And I think that's a different thing for Vince Vaughn's character throughout. He's had some really clunky dialogue this season that he's just kind of spoken instead of, I felt like really, really been able to touch because it's crazy. Uh, and I think last night he really crossed the line into a good place uh, with what he did. He crossed the line. Uh, we didn't even really talk about the, the scene. The first scene? Yeah, the first scene. I mean, I guess let's, let's start ending this thing where the, where the episode itself began uh, is the Ray standoff. Ray versus Frank standoff, and there w- there was just this great moment in that standoff uh, where they they both have the gun on each other under the table. Now it's pretty clear that they both know that there's the gun underneath the table, and Frank says, "I'm gonna lift my hand up now. Don't you dare fucking shoot me, Raymond." <laughs> I just thought I just thought the delivery of that was terrific. It was. You, it was a great line. Did you guys buy? what what frank was selling here i i, I mean nope. what's crazy about it is that ray did like ray bought it ray was like yeah right. that was stupid. i was just looking to kill somebody you're right and i you didn't really make me kill anybody i did it i'm definitely not going to shoot you now but i mean yeah. are you guys on team frank didn't know uh or are or was this a, a big convoluted uh, that, lie that seems so hard to believe and that not only frank doesn't know but doesn't even know who gave him the information that that seems way too shady to me. There's, I just, I will be shocked if we if we come to find out that he really didn't know. Yeah, 
flip a coin for me. I, I could go either way on it. I wouldn't be shocked to find out that this is just another Frank lie. Also wouldn't be surprised if Frank doesn't really know. Frank has, you know, kind of come out of his shell here a little bit to be a guy that doesn't have the firmest grasp on what's going on and doesn't have full control over his life and the world that he's created. So it wouldn't astonish me to find out that he doesn't know more, uh, that this is the situation as it is. But I also mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised at all that he's just messing with Ray. Yeah, you really, you're right. You could go either way with that, I suppose. Go, That's a good point. Could go either way with it. But it was a great scene. Terrific scene. Really. Yeah, it was a great scene. Yeah. And I think it could go either way. I, did, I, I didn't like as much the scene with Ray and the rapist where he's threatening to duel the rapist to the pain. To the pain. Yes, he's going to cut off every part of his body. Yes. Wrong! Your ears you keep. Yeah. And I'll tell why. you why. Yeah, <laughs> so that was the only part that, uh, that I didn't, I mean... I appreciate that Colin Farrell's had um, he did some incredible work last week where he had to sort of keep it bottled up and let his emotion just play out on his face. Uh, this week he was grunting and screaming a lot of these early episode lines, and it didn't play as well for me. So I don't, I, I mean, I don't know what to, what to make of that first scene because I don't know if Ray bought it, uh, and, and or and Ray is just kind of like a dog that you can calm down uh, or what. But I mean, he he clearly internalized a lot of it, and then had this horrible interaction with Chad watching Friends, uh, and then really took it out on himself at the end of the day. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess there, I I, have, I know we're uh, wrapping up. I have one kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to say if you've got are, are there are there any other questions you want to get into? Any topics you want to get into, Antonio? Yeah, I, what what did you guys make of this? Annie and Paul, when we meet them at the beginning of the episode, they're where we left them. They're up in the woods uh, in upstate California. They're by the cabin. They've called in the kind of locals on the ground, and uh, the state's attorney investigator is there. Uh, and this local cop, his name is Russo. He really is like, oh, we'll take it from here. That I, nobody saw, heard anything. That's fine. We'll take it from here. He's that guy's crooked as hell, right? Yeah, I guess I can see how he definitely came across crooked. I didn't really think much about it, but now that you mention it, sure. Yeah, because everyone on the show is a bad guy. I mean, yeah, it that's really true. feels that way, though. Like it really does. Even and the good just- guys are bad guys. Yeah, he just is like, oh, you know, we'll take it from here. Don't worry about that. And no, we never heard of any parties. We sold this land, never had any complaints. I think he know he knows damn good and well whose cabin that is, and he knows what's going on up there. And I think that this is just yet another uh, Nick Pizzolatto, true detective. Uh, oh, this some crime happened. Um, and I, unfortunately, uh, they they made it clear that I think that it was probably a prostitute because they were like it was a female with gonorrhea. Right. So um, I, I mean, it's like there's your tip that's a connected that it's, that it's definitely connected to the the larger story, and it does feel like it's getting swept under the rug. Um, and I, I just don't know. Um, I don't know if there's any bigger story there if that's going to come back at all or if that's just yet another thing that oh here's another victim who's who no one's going to care about because we're going to cover up and protect the rich and powerful yeah it's just like we don't know who who frank uh who ray actually killed that frank had ray killed and we don't know who this person this woman is that was tortured in the shack i mean that the question is will be is i can't imagine them being able to answer all this stuff in two episodes can you guys just we're gonna have a lot of left. stuff. We're gonna have a lot of things left to hanging, is what I'm saying, right? It's gonna be a jam-packed final two episodes, Jeremiah. By the way, I believe I read that the next next week's episode is 70 minutes long. Wow! And that the really? finale is like 85 minutes. It's long. like 8,000 minutes long. It is, it is three episodes directed by wow. Ryan Johnson. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, uh, no, uh, it, there's, there's a lot of true detective left. There's a lot of true detective left, even though it's only two episodes. These are two full sized episodes. Uh, we're not getting two forty minutes here. We're getting a few hours of true detective left. So I do think okay. we're going to wrap up a lot of this. And there's one thing, I think there's a really good comment on our, on our post-show recap site by Mustard Cannon, uh, Mustard Cannon, by the way, who posted and sent in a hilarious kind of Photoshop of the Nerf Detective discussions that we were having uh-huh. this week. Um, Mustard Cannon uh, observed, Hey guys, while not being a huge fan of this episode, I did find it interesting how Annie's role on Molly revealed the catalyst to the duality between Annie and her sister through these horrible cult experiences they would have shared as kids. One, quote-unquote, embraced what happened and used it as a means to make money and pursue a, quote-unquote, dream through offering her body, while Annie became a cold, sexually charged expert in taking down men in multiple ways. Annie also shuts her sister's life out in every scene, only staying focused on the case at hand. Do you guys think Athena is going to pay the iron price for Annie's freakout in the mission? And we talked about that a little, a little, but I... The Annie and Athena duality is something I don't think we've really, truly kind of sussed out uh, more than kind of noticing that it might be there. And it is interesting that Athena is on the upswing at the same time that Annie is kind of spiraling downward in her career uh, and really kind of on a, a careening, negative, destructive path uh, as, as it culminates in this, this murder at the party. Uh, and um, is there anything other than the kind of interesting theme in play there, uh, or do you guys have any observations about that beyond what Mustard Cannon wrote? No, I think I think it's it's you know there aren't a ton of at least in in the main main story there isn't a lot going on in terms of siblings. It's a lot of uh, you know a parent and their kid, you know a, a father mm-hmm. and their daughter, a father and their son, uh, or or in the case of the Bezaridis, it is it's two daughters, and we've gotten a lot out of Athena. And you know the theme of legacy has been really important on the show. It's been you know one of the most resonant themes on the show, and I think it's an interesting mirror to see these two sisters and how they've reacted differently to their circumstances and what that might mean going forward. I absolutely think that. Everything going on with Annie and Athena is central to the overall story that's being told this season. And I think that that's going to unfold in some pretty big ways probably as soon as next week. Yeah, and if you think about it, too, Anna's always kind of, to me, felt like she's trying to play the motherly role to Athena, her sister. So you kind of got that aspect in there as well. At least it always felt that way. You know, she seems yeah, yeah, like she's yeah. always trying to tell her what to do and how to live her life. Yeah, I think that that's been on the show. You know, I I, yeah. I don't know if it's been outright said, like, you've been like a mom no, to me yeah. or you're like a daughter to me or anything like that. But you can tell that there's that dynamic at play for sure. Or maybe I, it's all just to tie into the Friends episode, the one where Chandler can't remember which sister. Was oh, this all just yes. a long con to get to a friend's joke to bring us full circle? Because I appreciate it's, that. I respect no, it. no, I, I did want to. I mean, I, I'm interested to know. I'd, I'd love to hear everyone's theories on what friend's episode they were watching. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that was, as Alex Wilpon put, the most important question. Oh, uh, yeah. She said she didn't think it was the one with Chandler's dad, given that Chad seems to be out on Ray. Right. Uh, but, I mean, there's so many. If you go and, and you look at the list of friend's episodes, the the titles of these friends episode there's so many good ones that really do tie into uh the true detective that we've seen this season so we'd love to hear i'd love to hear your thoughts uh anyone who's listening or in our comments here at post show recaps what friends episode you think they were watching uh, because there's so many titles that really just are hilariously tied in. yeah how about we do this how about how about you guys tweet us the title of the friends episode you think that chad yes. and ray were watching with the hashtag true friends detective uh let's let's do that let's play yes. that game tweet that to my 
itself. I'm at Round Howard, like Ron Howard, but rounder. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro, two Z's, one R. Jeremiah is at J Panhorse. Tweet that our way. We'll have a little fun this week as we wait for the next episode. And you know what I think is, to me, Alex, I know Alex said that the Friends episode was the most important question. My most important question is, who has to clean up that party mess, right? <laughs> oh, dear. That- <laughs> Jeremiah, no. <laughs> Oh, is that was that? Did I go too far? Uh, I'm sorry. You're all. You know what? Can you edit that part out? Friends, Gosh. season friends, yeah. season and, friends, season eight, episode seven. Jeremiah is, I think, where you need to look for that answer. Okay. Wait, can you spoil that? Can you just tell me what that is? That's the one with the stain. <laughs> oh, oh, gross, gross, gross. All right. And on that note, I'm we should go, definitely end. I'm gonna go vomit. Then I'm gonna clean up that mess, guys. I will talk to you next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening in again. As always, you can subscribe to what we're doing here. Postshowrecaps.com/slash True Detective iTunes. We will be back next week talking about episode seven, penultimate episode of True Detective season two. Lots of fun going on here with this podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying as well. Talk to you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye. The story's told with facts and lies. I have a name, but never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I have to leave my life behind. The story's told with facts and lies. You own the world, so never mind.